watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at three movies. 20th Century Women, Patriot's Day, and Live by Night. And as always, we're going to rate them on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And sending back means... Life's too short for that mess. Oh, so short. I'm getting yeah. shorter by the moment. I'll say. Jason, uh, did you watch the Golden Globes? Oh, I did watch the Golden Globes. I forgot we were going to talk about that. Did you watch them? I, I watched them on mute. <laughs> at, a, at a dinner. So it was very frustrating. I got, what are they saying? I got the gist of most of it, I think. Um, congratulations, Stranger Things, <laughs> on being so cute. That transcends volume. Will someone turn on the captions? <laughs> um, no, not until the end did I get the sound. But um, I <laughs> Did watch them? Someone decided you were a good girl, and so they turned the, you got your sound privileges back. Yes, I earned them back. They're not given; they're earned. Oh, like respect. Speaking of Meryl Streep, <laughs> what was your highlight of the night? Uh, well, that of course. Um, you know that was. It felt like to me, it felt like the Braveheart speech. Mm. like when she just started like when she started to like set the stage for what she was going to say i felt this tingle of like a true call to action like Mm -hmm. take up arms this shit's going down and i was just like i'm not the kind of queen that goes around calling everyone mother all the time but i was just sitting there going like yes mother yes tell us tell us what to do like keep talking Please share. Tell us everything. I wish she would have talked for like 10 hours. I was so, so just in awe of her speech. And I know people are digging her now um, for like, oh, well, why'd you have to like Trevor Noah as if like he's not despised enough now is also popping off about like, you know, well, why does she have to shit on sports and MMA? You don't have to shit on someone else's thing to make your thing look better. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Her speech doesn't have to be for everyone. Mm -hmm. She's speaking to movie fans. She's speaking to the people in the audience. She's speaking to, like, fucking unathletic nerds like myself. Sure. And I'm totally fine with what she said. Like, I don't think that she needed to speak to everybody. And that also people were like, oh, well, what if her speech just makes it worse uh, for the world? And what if it just makes Trump angrier? And then he gets, gets more into retaliation mode. And it didn't change anyone's mind. I'm like, okay, at this point, nothing's going to change anyone's mind ever, period. That's true. Um, it was I not, mean, maybe. I it was know. a speech not for the opposition. It was yeah. a speech for the troops. And as such, I think it was magnificent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt like, so I saw it on mute. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I literally yeah. saw it on mute. So I saw the reaction faces and I was like, oh, she's probably saying something political. And then I went back and watched it later. And I was definitely very... Um, surprised that she was having like a problem with her voice because it didn't come across that way if you didn't hear it it seemed like it was a very like powerful loud speech but Mm. like that she was kind of crippled by the fact that she had like a hoarse voice which very was very interesting well Um, i know that she had been she was at like all the memorials for carrie fisher this week and mm. had just come off of probably a week of just which is a real whoop up oh right okay yeah Yeah, right (laughs) (laughs) 
It's the real party. Right. No, just a week of of, of sobbing and of, mm-hmm. of talking and of and probably of laughing. And I know she also sang Carrie's favorite song. Oh right. Um, at the memorial. So I think she had just come off of a long, draining emotional week. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that that just speaks to like her power as an actor that like you're watching her without hearing her voice and you're getting such such force and such impact. And then you watch it again and her voice is so sort of like, you know, like you said, hoarse and, and, and kind of down a notch. But she's still, it almost made it more powerful. You know, because I think if she just stood there shouting, it would have just been obnoxious. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that would have been a little much. Um, yeah, and she's too good for that. And she's a nuanced... Um, speaker. I mean, I agree with what she said, but I don't feel like it was a great speech. I mean, when you take it compared to like Jesse Williams' speech at the BET Awards last year, which was like clearly crafted with like skills of rhetoric and and uh, provocation, like it was that was a beautiful speech. This speech was very heartfelt. Mm-hmm. It was very important. I don't think she shouldn't have given it, but I don't think it was like a great speech. What did I just say about not needing to shun other people's things to make your thing better? <laughs> what did I just say? Listen, I don't think they need to be compared. I don't think it was the same thing. I think he's being in a different context. He's being in the context of specifically people of color. And that's not what she's talking about. I uh, mean, that, um, no. I mean, the content of the speech is is sort of irrelevant in my comparison. It's about the, the way you give a speech and, like, mm-hmm. the crafting of the speech. I felt like it... And maybe it was the fact that, like, the audience response was kind of... A little tame. Well, I didn't think it was tame. It was complete reverence. I don't know what I it saw. It was worshipful faces. There's like montages. People made a gift montages of people just staring and crying. I mean, I felt like there were like a lot of moments of just like silence where there would have, should have been applause. Well, that's not how the globes are. It's like Meryl speaking. Okay. Okay. I mean, I feel like I understand how this is going to go. <laughs> if I say anything, you have something to say about it. So. Well, you know, that's conversation. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that's communication that's communication communication that's how that goes um i again i'm like i don't think it she shouldn't have given it i think it's very important and i think that she's someone that's well respected and well respected mm-hmm. by everybody and so i think that her position is very strong and that she said something right. was very great um but i just don't think it was like the like the best speech well yeah i'm not saying that's going to be taught in rhetoric classes uh i think it was a great speech for what it was for the golden globes for where we are at this moment for meryl street being who she is I thought that it was very appropriate and very fitting. And I didn't think that it needed to be like a more explicit, like, you know, come on troops, you know, like I, I, I think that it was just a different animal than Jesse Williams speech. Mm-hmm. And I, I, did, and I, I think mean, they can both be great speeches. And I think Jesse Williams speech, he, he was, he was much more fiery and, and he, you know, he just had a, a real power. Um, and she had a more, to me, it was more of like an emotional, like it was like mom sad. <laughs> <laughs> it was like mom is sad now uh, mm-hmm. it was like a, we made mom sad why is mom sad mom's gonna tell us why she's sad and I thought it was very artful the way that she you know sort of tied it to acting mm-hmm. and um, you know and also that she chose to use like a lifetime achievement award to just entirely yeah. talk about that um, even though she knew there was gonna be blowback from it mm-hmm. uh, which I think as sort of an A-list star she's more likely to get than a Jesse Williams is likely to get Yes, if anything, Jesse Williams' speech was, like, boosted his career. Absolutely. Uh, so, but yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I thought the Globes overall were, you know, whatever. Um, Are you so happy that Isabel Hubert won? <laughs> i say it again. Isabel Hubert? <laughs> Your first time you said, like, Isabel Hubert? <laughs> I'm, I think I'm getting sick. It was fresh. 
Um, I Yes, I was delighted that she won. Um, and I hope that it will... This is happening during Oscar voting period, which is the only reason any of this matters at all, mm. um, the Globes, is that's happening, you know, to, it's good to be seen winning um, during um, a voting period, which mm. is great. And Aaron Taylor Johnson, of course, was the what shock of all shocks. What was that? So he was... Um, he played... Redneck number one in uh, Nocturnal Animals. Right. A movie that we put on our top 10 list. We uh, did. That we, that we very much loved. I, I mean, I love that performance. And he's great, but it was just a shock. And it's the foreign, the Hollywood foreign press loves the Brits. I mean, the problem, the and only he, problem with that, with that winning was the Moonlight situation. Yes. Uh, there was just that mounting tension all night of like, is it actually going to win nothing? But then, you know, looking at best drama, it was like, well, what else would win if not Moonlight? And right. it was like, well, maybe Manchester, because Manchester has won something. Mm-hmm. Moonlight hasn't. Um, so, but yeah, but it won, and that was great. Um, it was, the screenplay win for La La Land infuriated mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Infuriated We me. talked about this. Um, um, not that it won the, glo- the Globe, I don't think we talked about. But I think we talked about that, like, La La Land's, one of its, the, the screenplay is not its strength. Right. Um, Except and, that it is an original musical, which is something we haven't seen in a while. Right. Um, but, you know, screenplay in terms of like dialogue and scenes and story and character and plot, mm-hmm. not super amazing. Right. Pretty, you know, just satisfactory. So that was a shock. I mean, M- Manchester was tipped to win that. Uh, so it was just, it just, the fact that Lyle Land broke all records and won more Golden Globes than any movie in history has ever won. It makes me sad because it just turned everybody really against it. Mm-hmm. Like people were already turned off by the sense of because people don't like inevitability, and they don't mm-hmm. like feeling there's no choice. And I think people are starting to get the sense that there's no choice, and La La Land's going to win the Oscar for Best Picture, and that's turning people off. And naturally, they're rooting for the underdog, which mm-hmm. is Moonlight, and which is especially easy to do when the presumed winner has two huge famous white movie stars in mm-hmm. it, and Moonlight is this story about a queer black person, and so it's like it's just a clear sort of like. Um, David and Goliath situation. Yeah, there's and not a lot of nuance in these awards, I remember. No, no, um, nor in the reactions to them. Uh, <laughs> True. So, yeah, so it's just bumming me out because I love both of these movies very much. Um, and I think that there's enough room for both of them. And I hope that ultimately they split picture and director. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be fine with La La Land taking picture and Barry Jenkins taking director. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it absolutely, under no circumstance, should win screenplay. That would be absurd. I was just looking through what we uh, texted each other on the night of the uh, Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of gifts of the cast of Lion. <laughs> Man, that little fella. Oh, what a heartbreak. What a handsome little guy. Mm-mm-mm. Just precious, precious, precious. Um, Dev Fatale, another Brit that could have won, mm-hmm. but lost Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, they just gave everything to the Brits. Everything, 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 everything. And the uh, French. And one French woman, yes, and one Dutch director. Yeah. I mean, um, Olivia Coleman won for The Night Manager. Yeah. Which, which, okay, you don't like The Night Manager? Have you seen it? I haven't seen The Night Manager, but there were so many much more interesting people nominated in that category. And I have like a, just a, when a British actress wins Best Supporting Actress and is not there, it inflames mm. years of Maggie Smith beating Christina <laughs> Hendricks. PTSD. <laughs> Like just year after year of Downton, mm-hmm. just of mm-hmm. Maggie Smith, just dominating every brilliant supporting actress from Mad Men, year after year yeah. after year after year, and the bitch never showed up. I mean, she didn't have to. <laughs> Not once. 
uh, never even acknowledged. I want what? No. What is a weekend? <laughs> a golden globe. No. <laughs> Sounds dreadful. No. Not the best. More of a Mrs. Doubtfire accent. It really accent. is, but it's but, still uh, funny. No. Yeah. So anyway, um, that is my that was my trigger with Olivia Coleman winning Best Supporting Actress. But, <laughs> but she was in The Lobster, so, so I feel like that's the thin line to a the lobster the winning. Line. We'll take it. Winning a Golden Globe in the six this year. degrees of Kevin Bacon way. Um, because Colin Farrell did not win. Yeah. Nope. Um, I so w- fuck those awards. <laughs> At least he was there. Um, it was good to see him. Um, holding it down for the lobster. Were there so. any off off like actual award moments that you really enjoyed? Actual award moments, like uh, not the the awards, but like off awards, like red carpet oh. or oh, well, the, the La La Land opening was was marvelous. You I, like that? I thought that was absolutely. Really, I, I thought was, it was a little was, no homo. I was I was smiling like a crazy person. Mm, man, I can't time. tell. It's like a weird kind of gay. There was a no homo like... moment at the end of it, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, okay, well that's lame. Um, but it didn't ruin the whole thing for me. Interesting. Um, everything up until that point was just so. Delightful. So you were able to pick and choose. Of, of I'm that. saying I will say like which parts I enjoy, which parts I didn't. Mm-hmm. I did something things don't get categorically crossed off for me because mm-hmm. they cross over one line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So no, I loved it, and mm-hmm. I thought that uh, yeah, it had a no homo joke, which is just when you have bros like Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake together, you're going to have no homo jokes, which it's, is a shame. It's not ideal. It's worth calling out. It is worth calling out. It's a shame. I feel like they're better than that. They're both better than that. They don't need that. No, they're they're like they're like the bros. They're consummate performers, and they can do so many other things. I think that when you see Justin Timberlake with Andy Samberg, Andy Samberg brings him to a higher level. That's true. But I think because and Jimmy he's Fallon more, drags him down. Yes, because Jimmy Fallon is a basic bitch, and mm-hmm. Andy Samberg is a comic he's married genius. to Joanna Newsom. Is married to Joanna Newsom. Is Mr. Newsom. So there's Mr. that. Mr. Newsom. Um, any other thoughts you had on the Globes? Uh, nope. <laughs> that's it well again i watched right. them in mute so i didn't really get a lot <laughs> i mean like were you like did you have any observations while watching it on mute like people looking crazy or like oh did someone just say something controversial or i mean like... i thought denzel looked really barely there he was very he seemed very bored doing the whole thing his thumbs up gift to casey yeah affleck yeah oh yeah you know, casey was... affleck won mm-hmm. um and um and some people accused him Brie of aping. Brie Larson did not seem pleased. Did not seem jazzed about it at all. No, she did not. Um, and I said as much on her Instagram. Did, wait, really? <laughs> yeah, I commented on one of her Instagram posts from the Globes. I was like, you didn't seem very happy to give Casey that award. Um, she has not written back yet. Okay, okay. <laughs> Big shock. Um, but, you know, that was Casey F. Like, I feel like it's such a like a cosmic joke on him that he's out on this really like sort of intense uh, award season with these allegations flying about him. And he's like been demonized and cast off into a million think piece villain roles. And he has to look like such a fucking <laughs> creep the entire time. Because What's of, the movie that he's shooting? I don't even you know, know what movie it is, but I know, I mean, as far as I know, it is for a movie. Yeah. I don't know what movie. I mean, it might not be. He's but that he's kind of just, person, right? I don't know. I mean, he still had, he had that look in September mm-hmm. at TIFF. Scraggly beard. So, like, movie shoots don't tend to run on for this long. Uh-huh. You know, that's it's that would have been this is like the fifth month since then. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, like, I think the official story is that it's for a movie, but the fact that he can't clean up no, and just like terrible. look like a clean cut gentleman and just look some weird, fucking, like, creepy bearded weirdo the whole time. Basement dweller. Yeah. Not, 
ideal. And you could tell that he seemed like he was like, people like Ryan Gosling, I'll say nice things about my children and the mother of them as well. Mm-hmm. And then he just kind of like, it just felt like he aped Ryan Gosling and then he like half-heartedly aped Denzel Washington. It was like, mm-hmm. hey, uh, God is love. Uh, and Denzel's like, thumbs up. <laughs> uh, that, that was, that was. Which uh, is probably the most present he was. Yeah, right. He's like, mm, mm, thumb. Shall we get on? So one of our first movies is a 2016 movie. It was nominated for a Golden Globe. Yes. Uh, yes. I, well, I think all three of our movies this week were released uh, in New York and L.A. in 2016 for awards consideration runs and are just now coming oh, interesting. to San Francisco. Which but is the only one that's actually, oh no, actually Live by Night might, might be one that is considering. Maybe I mean, Live thing. by Night and Patriot's Day both could have below the line technical consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, mm. but only one has a, a shot in the major categories. And that's the first one. It's also our pick of the week. The pick of the week is 20th Century Women. Pick of the week. In 1979, Santa Barbara, California, Dorothea Fields is a determined single mother in her mid-50s who is raising her adolescent son, Jamie, at a moment brimming with cultural change and rebellion. Dorothea enlists the help of two younger women, Abby, a free-spirited punk artist living as a boarder in the Fields' home, and Julie, a savvy and provocative teenage neighbor, to help with Jamie's upbringing. I think maybe you guys can help me with Jamie. How do you be a good man? What does that even mean nowadays? Don't you need a man to raise a man? No, I don't think so. I think you're what's going to work for him. You just feel guilty because it's just me and you. You don't know what I'm feeling. Men always feel like they have to fix things for women or they're not doing anything. Just be there. Somehow that's hard for all of you. Well, I'm not all men. Okay, I'm just me. Well, yes and no. So this one was nominated for Best Picture Golden Globe. But it did not win, unfortunately. No, not, nor did Annette Benning win because she will never win, ever. No. Anything. For nothing. It's in it's in the stars somewhere written there that she cannot. Mm-mm. And will not. And Which is it's such a shame. It's at the point now where sh- some odds makers have her not even making it into the category at the Oscars. Really? Yeah. That for it's this just, performance? For this performance. That's a real shame. That is a real shame because it is a beaut. This is a, this is a person you want to know and a person you want to meet that she plays. Yes, and it's all thanks to it's you know a marriage of the performance and of Mike Mills, mm-hmm. the writer director, uh, and the way he's written this character, this just incredibly rich, complex character that you can just get lost in contemplating, um, and that's kind of what the, what he's done here. The whole thing is. So Mike Mills, before this, he made the movie Beginners, Mm -hmm. um, which was also wonderful. And that was about his father, uh, who was kind of absent from most of his life, and then in his 70s came out as gay. Mm, So Beginners was about that journey. And now he's made a movie about his mother. Um, And so rather than being a contemporary story from Mike Mills' life, it's from his teen years. Mm And uh, and he did grow up in Santa Barbara, and his mother had a lot in common with this character of Dorothea. And uh, so it's a love letter to his mother, and we love those here at the binge. We, we loved sure it. Do. We loved it when it was the meddler. We love it when it's twentieth century women, because we love moms. We do. And uh, so this is a very personal story from Mike Mills, and it feels personal. It's has just mountains and avalanches of heart and warmth. Mm-hmm. And, and and sweetness and sincerity. And it's not 
told through the perspective of like a teenage boy not understanding his mother. Like you get that in the story, but it's not told through his point of view in a way right. that's like old yeah. and, and done before. Yeah, I think that I think that's an area where the movie mostly succeeds. Um, I think that there's a scene in the movie that I that I love because I think it's Mike Mills kind of checking himself to make sure he's not coming across as patronizing in his or 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 thinking that he completely understands women or mm-hmm. um, there's a scene where um, his stand-in character who's played by a f- fucking magnificent actor named Lucas Jade Zuman what a performance just, Fantastic. Um, there's a scene where he um, he finds an essay because he's getting all these feminist materials oh, yes. given to him to read and consider. And there's an essay about how older women feel invisible. And he reads it to his mother thinking that she will feel so seen by it and mm-hmm. so represented. And in watching it, I was like, oh, my God, I would totally do that with my mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I would absolutely show her something because I'd be like, oh, you relate to this, right? Or like, does this, you know, and, and not thinking, not considering ego not considering mm-hmm. pride not considering appropriateness um and he reads her this thing and it does sound like it is beautifully written and very re- resonant and accurate um but annette benning's character is just like is that how you see me you know i don't i don't like that at all mm-hmm. uh and she's which is what makes this character so interesting dorothea is that on the one hand she is has such an active curiosity about the world around her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She wants to understand everything. Like she has not like she's not closed off. No, she she's, wants to know about rock. She's music very open. She's like, tell me everything. Hip. Yeah. She wants to it keeps her young. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, she does have these things where she'll just shut the door. I mean, the, we all do. Yeah. And the mood doesn't attempt to like fully understand that. It just kind of says, like, these these are how people are. Like, you know, she's mm-hmm. not one way all the time. Like, there are going to be things where she starts to get uncomfortable and she has a sense of unease. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of those scenes where I think you're thinking in, like, the boy's mind. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's going to be like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, that is. But instead, she snaps at him mm-hmm. and shuts that shit right down. Uh, and I think that was just a, just one example of the kind of complexity of these dynamics that Mike Mills has written into the movie. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting story in, in terms of like sort of non-traditional characters. Like, uh, so you have uh, the mother, Dorothea, uh, played by Annette Benning, and her son. And then you have three boarders in the house. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much the main cast. It's just well, these just sort of... Well, just two boarders, actually. One's just a neighbor. Oh, he's not living there? No, um, Elle Fanning's a neighbor. Oh, right. She is a neighbor. Yeah. So you have two boarders and a neighbor. So it's this like really close-knit group of people who are very much in each other's lives at different points. Um, Billy Crudup's character is one of the um, boarders who is helping with the house and kind mm-hmm. of does little handyman things around. Um, and he's probably like in his 40s. And then you mm-hmm. have Greta Gerwig, who's in her 20s, and she's going through um, ovarian cancer, mm-hmm. and she lives there. And then you have Elle Fanning, who's a neighbor, who's a teenager like the son. So you have like these really different perspectives and these different periods of life that it's not, it's very interesting. It's it's not, it's something I've seen before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so... Um... I think Mike Mills is sort of one of our leading just humanists of sensitivity Mm. when it comes to cinema Um, because he's so abundantly sensitive, but sensitive in a way that it's not like a a corrective sensitivity. Mm -hmm, You mm -hmm, know, it's mm -hmm. just it it comes from the heart. And uh, and he is, you know, he loves his characters and he just bleeds for his characters and uh, and I think you see that in each of these. Um, I think that some are more successful than others. I think Abby, who is the Greta Gerwig character mm-hmm. and who is based on Mike Mills' own sister, who had similar experiences. 
Interesting. Um, Abby is a phenomenal character. I wanted to, and you, you know, you want to know Dorothea, and you also want to know Abby because you're like, oh, oh yeah, we'd be definitely. friends with Abby. And Greta Gerwig in this movie is the best she has ever been. Yeah, I can't imagine where she was better. She has not been. No, she has not been better. No. Um, she breaks out of like there's a lot of people I've I've had people tell me like that they have always hated Greta Gerwig because she has a you know she has a Gerwigism about her, um, you know she's sort of like in some ways she's like the Lena Dunham of movie stars, um, <laughs> you know so she has certain a way of speaking yeah. and a way of yeah. presenting herself and it rubs people the wrong way. It's in, a little in, affected. In, yeah, a little affected. Um, I would say she's more affected than Lena Dunham, um, but in this movie she cuts the shit. And mm-hmm. she just gives you the raw emotional truth of this woman. And she does it beautifully. And I really hope she's been making some supporting shortlist. I really, really, really hope she makes it in yeah, and gets fantastic. a nomination. Not that she'll win, but it would be great to see her get nominated for it. Especially if Annette Benning is going to possibly fall off the radar entirely. That would be, that would be so terrible. Yeah. It would be pretty... This performance is so interesting. I mean, it, this is a long movie too, right? It's like two and a half, three, two it's like and a half sol- It's like a solid two. You're never disinterested because she's always interested. That curiosity mm. that you mentioned earlier yeah. makes you engage with the characters so so thoroughly. I I really enjoyed yeah. following her along as she tries to figure out yeah. her son, as she tries to figure out life for herself. Yeah. Um, no, she's 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 so great, and uh, I think that the Elf Fanning character kind of pulls up the short straw in a little some bit. ways in terms of just like the success with which it's written and mm-hmm. and portrayed. This is one of two um, disappointing Elle Fanning supporting performances we have this week because she's also in Live By Night and she is by far the most miscast person in that movie. Oh, no. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that they were reaching for something they didn't totally get um, with that character. And, you know, but she's there just to look like a fucking dream, a 70s California dream girl. Yeah, it's very... And that's what she um, looks like. It's very virgin suicides. Very virgin suicides. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which I mean, and she's worked with Sofia Coppola, so you know, uh, she's sort of like a muse of that particular kind of you know hipster auteur. Yeah, I would definitely say it, it seems like a, a a writing issue and not an acting issue. It feels like she didn't have a lot to go with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's probably accurate. I think that one. Mm, I think when I, I I fall short on this one of just being able to like fully praise it as a sort of feminist thing. Just because I feel like ultimately the point of the movie is how this guy turns out. And a lot of the conversations between the women are about the guy. Yeah. And yeah. I get that it's about wanting to give him the sort of feminist education mm-hmm. and that like through him, he's sort of the audience entry point. And we too can kind of like learn these things he's learning as mm-hmm. we go through this. But just the fact that ultimately it's about a bunch of women getting together to talk about how to make sure a guy turns out good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just can't totally yeah. feel like... And also fucking white as hell there's one person filming this movie i can't even remember who that is he's like a friend of abby's that comes over for dinner later oh um, yeah and oh, yeah. That's, that's he has like two lines white it as hell incredibly white that is uh, unfortunate um it know, wasn't necessary yeah i mean like it's, it, really takes place in, it takes place in santa barbara you know easily yeah abby could have easily yeah so you know so then this is you know uh, so just just worth calling out mm-hmm, that it, that it is incredibly white, um, but uh, you know so but those those are in in I have a, a a friend who is a huge Mike Mills fan, and he was his main issue with this is he felt like it was too repetitive of a lot of the tropes and techniques of beginners, 
Mm. Um, Because Mike Mills kind of has almost like a multimedia approach to his movies, which, you know, which is something he shares with his wife, Miranda July. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and so you're like, okay, so this is every movie you're going to make is going to have this kind of technique. It's going to like show us like these kinds of archival bits of footage Mm -hmm. and it'll it'll play with um, chronology and it'll tell you how they're going to die and they're just randomly in the middle of the movie and it'll show you images of, of belongings and you know so it just and it has it has a very similar and they're companion pieces so they're about his parents mm-hmm. I get that and I think Thumbsucker which he made yeah, before Beginners didn't have that same vibe so maybe this is just a thing he's doing for these companion movies about his parents hopefully he'll switch it up after this because I do think it could become monotonous it's not so much monotonous maybe a little bit that but it just makes him feel like he has nothing else to offer yeah if, I mean if it's he just keeps doing the same techniques it's definitely something that's not fresh at all even like not just to him it's just not fresh sure. in general yeah. um so it's a little when you're gonna try something that's not just you know mm-hmm. the continuation of the movie it, it, like it's weird when it's something that isn't new or original yeah um i mean i did enjoy the sort of the interludes of uh explaining where people are in their lives and then telling the future about what happens mm-hmm. to them later. I mean, it, it hit me emotionally yeah. super hard. Um, but the the visuals that went along with it felt a little cheesy. Yeah, like, oh, she was born during you know the Depression. Here's some Depression footage. Right, so here's some like uh, breadline photos. Yeah, but I did love the idea of thinking about when people were born. Um, yeah, and, just, and when they die. Yeah, and, and sure, and when they die. Um, if for the characters that it, it is not, it's not like six feet under. It doesn't like show you every character die, right? Um, but you know, it does talk about like oh, how six feet under. <laughs> yes, it doesn't play "Breathe Me" um, <laughs> in a sweeping final montage. That doesn't happen. Um, I will say this movie gave me one of my favorite moments of any movie this past year, uh, which is um, there is a, a scene in which Annette Bening attempts to learn the difference between the Talking Heads and Black Flag. Oh yeah. Because she finds out that there's a lot of animosity and that um, her son has been beaten up for wearing a talking head shirt. And pretty much labeled as an art fag. Yes. And so and it's just a net betting with that voice of hers being like, art fag, <laughs> art fag. What is art fag? <laughs> um, and then like her and Billy Crudup have the scene where they just like play records by Black Flag and mm-hmm. talking heads and just like and try to just like get into it and just kind of like ape it and like just try to feel it. and try just to Try to figure like, out what it is. Yeah, exactly. Try to figure it out by dancing to it. And like, is, how do you dance to this? And like, is this OK? This is the energy of it. This is it. Mm-hmm. It's just such a magical, wonderful scene. And Annette Benning, yeah, she slays. Uh, she is really, really outstanding. Um, it's one of the best performances by a cat in a movie I've seen in a while. It's been a while since we've seen a good cat movie. <laughs> Strong play by a, a, a tuxedo. Mm, is that is that the cat's I name? Think it's a, no, the cat is a tuxedo. Oh, the it's cat like a is a tuxedo. It's a black and white oh, cat. Oh, you're, you're partial to those. I am partial to those. It reminds <laughs> me of my cat teacup. Yes, and, and not at all of an English bulldog, which we recently found out you don't like at all. Not a big fan. <laughs> so we're giving it a pick of the week, which I assume is a binge it from you. Mm-hmm. Binge it from me. Uh, and it's rated R for sexual material, language, some nudity, and brief drug use. The next movie in the list is Patriot's Day. Tragedy strikes on April 15th, 2013, when two bombs explode during the Boston Marathon. In the aftermath of the attack, law enforcement officials join courageous survivors and other investigators in a race against the clock to hunt down the suspects and bring them to justice. We'll take it. And let's get an evidence grid started right over there. Clock is ticking. The world is watching. The suspect seen on the surveillance cameras. Two bombers. We gotta find these guys before they do this to someone else. This is the second movie we, we both got to see this week. Mm-hmm. In a very, um, it was very 
torrential downpour on our way to the theater. Yes. We didn't know if we were going to make it or make it in time. Very dramatic. I was feeling very sorry for myself and very heroic for braving the circumstances to get to the movie. And then we watched the movie about the Boston bombing, and I felt less heroic. A little less heroic. Yeah. Just Took you down a notch. It did. It I did. mean, it's hard not to feel like these guys were very heroic. And by these guys, I mean all these white men were very heroic. It's hard to criticize a movie that's about a real event. But we'll do it anyway. We're going to do it. <laughs> so let's start off by saying this sounds like this was an terrible event. Yes. And I can't imagine what it was like for anyone to be there or to have somebody there or to be working there in mm-hmm. the situation. Right. And I feel like, well, I say that because I feel like with these movies, they build it up in this way that it's like you can't criticize it because then you're criticizing the people of Boston and their strength or you're criticizing first responders or you're, and, and because they get tied so closely. Right. But I, well, you need to break it apart and talk about the movie as a movie. Right. Regardless. We, this is, this is. This is the same conversation we had last year with the movie that this will most closely resemble in our criticism, 13, 13 Hours. hours. <laughs> this is, I feel like Although, this is a little more benign than 13 oh, Hours. Oh, this is, okay, this is way better of a movie than than, yeah. than 13 Hours. And this is not nearly as, like, boneheadedly reductive. And political. And, yeah, and, and, yeah, oh, God, yeah, no. I mean, this is, this is leagues and bounds better in every possible sense mm-hmm. than that movie. Um, but with that said, it still has some issues that we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which I guess you could start with, like, why? Yeah. Why do we need a movie about the Boston bombing what, three, uh, three years and a half years after it happened? Mm-hmm. Um, is that necessary? Uh, I was reading some interviews today with Peter Berg, the director. Side note, Peter Berg also just made Deepwater Horizon, which came out in mm-hmm. September. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, which also starred Mark Wahlberg. And I guess that while they were wrapping that up, um, Mark Wahlberg was, you know, he was the one kind of pushing for this movie. And he took Peter Berg to into Boston and where, you know, he's a, you know, a, a favorite son. And um, they kind of went around talking to all these people who had been affected by it. And they were just like, yes, please make this movie. And um, and Peter Berg was really touched and it just like lit his fire. And he was like, OK, let's do it. Let's go right into it. So he really just goes straight into making Patriot's mm-hmm. Day after doing Deepwater Horizon. And now they're coming out four months removed from each other. But. He also made Lone Survivor, and Peter Berg is is extremely preoccupied with stories about heroic American working class men. Mm-hmm. That is his forte. Although one could argue that the paid contractors in Thirteen Hours were not working class men; mm-hmm. they were extremely well paid men with very, very lucrative jobs. Um, all the same, he's very concerned with um, you know with that certain class. He's he's a He's kind of, you know, I guess you could say he's kind of, he makes him for the red states. You know, he's sort of like a red state director, mm-hmm. but he has, he's not artless in his direction no. of these movies. And, you know, he does make movies that are very gripping and very compelling and exhilarating. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Lone Survivor, some condemned as being basically like a snuff film. Because there's watching these soldiers be just shot and beaten to death gradually over the course of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, it's... He's a fine director, and he also did he did Friday Night Lights, you know. So right, you can't right. be too mad at him. Um, and yet, you know, here we are. So even though Furious, even though Wahlberg and Berg, I just realized Wahlberg and Berg, Wahlberg and heard Berg. it. I heard it. Um, even though Wahlberg Berg uh, say that the Bostonians uh, were very, very in favor of this movie being made, 
Um, I don't think that necessarily means that it's still needed to, because like, mm-hmm. what are we to take from this movie? Like, why? Like, does it make a hell of a movie? Yes, it makes a hell of a movie. If you but, didn't watch the news in 2013, sure. this would be very interesting. Well, I think it's still like it still takes you back into it, and it gives you this kind of you know just like streamlined experience, near you know cinematic experience of the whole week and all that stuff, and. You know, and I think it, you know, it does all that well. And it, it I was never bored. Um, and uh, but it's just it's just a responsibility question mm-hmm. of like, do we need to put a movie out there that is about Muslim terrorism, um, especially at this time? Uh, right. And I think that the answer is no, you don't. And they would say uh, that it's not about that. It's about love uh which is the thing they push really hard mm-hmm. and aggressively at the end of the movie they try to tell you like this is all about it's a story about love overcoming hate but it's not it's a story about like a bunch of law enforcement agencies that are just like aggressively trying to like track down and kill these dudes mm-hmm. you know so that that's not really like you could say yeah sure like did the community of boston come together through this indubitably uh-huh. <laughs> indubitably i'm gonna say i'm gonna use that word <laughs> um you know but that's not what the movie's about there's another movie being made starring jake gyllenhaal as um the runner who lost both of his legs oh really um a, a separate runner not featured in this film mm-hmm. because i think they all got the life rights for certain people Interesting. um so and that's just a story about that guy and how he you know came back from that mm-hmm. so that's the way of telling a story about this that doesn't make it about the terrorists and yeah. about watching spending a whole movie cheering on you know white men trying to track down muslim men um to you know murder and or apprehend them uh and that's what this is yeah i mean i feel like it, it i think we, we went we saw this movie with with a friend who said it quite clearly like it's irresponsible in the way that they don't have a muslim perspective in this mm-hmm. that is not a terrorist perspective yeah there's no positive counterpart to the brothers absolutely shout out to you defits yes yes um friend of the show friend of the show um who complimented my liam neeson impression from the monster calls review that we did and it meant the world to me (laughs) (laughs) it was the one impression you're allowed to make thank you um so and maggie smith as well it's incredibly it's incredibly responsible um there are where so many ways to tell the story they tell it through mark Wahlberg, who is this police officer who has somehow magically at every moment in this situation right. which is because this is not a real person finish, he's not a real person so he's at the finish line he's in the like fbi workroom where they try to figure out what happened he's like the expert that they call on but he's also like kind of a rogue asshole but he they like rein him in anyway even though he's kind of this free spirit and then he's at the point where they had this shootout with the two brothers. He's there when they get him in the boat. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, no, he's like this Zelig type figure who's just somehow there at mm-hmm. all the right yeah, moments. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's always like, well, what are we doing with that fucking guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just in the background, just be doing that. Um, I mean, I, I'm one of those people that, that if there's a movie about, like, Cleveland or San Francisco, I'm, I will definitely go see it. So I can't <laughs> imagine being from Boston and being like, this would be, like, the coolest movie if you were from Boston and you were, like, affected by the tragedy. But at the same time, like, I, it would be hard not to feel like the tragedy that, that you were, uh, that you witnessed wasn't just totally used to make money on this fucking blockbuster movie. It feels cheap. It feels cheap. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's tough when you go down that critique just because it's like every movie in theory is made to make money. Um, And so it's like, you know, but yeah, it just just feels crass to do it so quickly. It feels crass to do it so quickly after the fact. And, you know, we've had, you know, we've had several movies about Mm -hmm. 9-11, you know, Oliver Stone made World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. We had Paul Greengrass's United 93. Um, You know, like I think that, you know, it's it, it makes sense as a movie. 
to, so it's, to me, it's not the fact that it became a movie. It's the fact that it became a movie, A, so quickly, mm-hmm. and B, that it, they felt the need to put a movie out there about Muslim terrorists at this time. But I, I guess I, what, I, what I'm saying is that it goes back to like your talk about Jake Gyllenhaal's movie. It's mm-hmm. that it's not at all nuanced. It's not like we try to make this interesting story out of this tragedy. It's like very much almost like a TV procedural mm-hmm. about yes, the situation, yeah, which feels like you're not procedural. bringing any sort of something new or something interesting you're really just taking this tragedy ripping it from the headlines putting it on stage mm-hmm. and making money from it that's what feels sure. cheap to me yeah i mean it's a disaster movie peter burke is sort mm-hmm. of between yeah. this and Deepwater horizon he's become sort of like the leader in these sort of american rip from the headline disaster movies mm-hmm. um that are you know it's sort of an update of the classic disaster movies where it was about like in you know towering inferno mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. airport um, you know, and these are about like things are in the headlines uh, and they're real stories. And that's what he's, you know, drawn to. And, uh, you know, so there's that. And, and for, you know, for, but for me, there is still just primarily this idea that like, you know, to defense's point that there is not a positive counterpart. Yes. For I the mean, brothers. I'm not taking away from that point at all. This is sure. definitely a big issue. Yeah. And I think that the the way the brothers are depicted was interesting to me. Because it really, the guy they've cast, especially as the younger brother, um, he absolutely nails exactly the way that it seemed like that guy would be based on the pictures of him. Mm-hmm. Like sort of a disaffected. Just, just like his 19-year-old youth. dipshit. Just 19-year-old yeah. pot-smoking college kid, um, you know, with, with, with an American accent. Mm-hmm. Um, and his brother is, you know, ha- you know, is an immigrant. And his brother is the one who's more intense into it. And his younger brother's kind of been pulled into it. There are scenes of the two of them at the beginning of the film before they leave to go plant the bombs of them when they're just at home that I thought were interesting mm-hmm. because it really like, you know, it, it gives you this kind of somewhat more dimensional portrayal of what they what they were to each other and what their dynamic was. Um, but by midway into the movie, they have become just fucking action movie villains. I mean, this movie turns into an action movie halfway through. Completely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I feel like we watched along, you know, with the media reports, but... I don't know how accurate some of this fighting was between like suburban police. The final showdown. Yeah. And and suburban streets with these two men, but they were like firework bomb. It looked like a video game dash war movie that I can't, I can't tell if that's what really happened or not. If it happened in real life, the way it looks in the movie, the block would have been gone. (laughs) The whole block that happened would have been been just decimated. Shut down completely. Like cars just like blowing up into the air, police cars blowing up into the air. Like, like as many as six or seven or eight cars being one by one, just being blown up and flying through the air. And although cops were like hiding behind them for shelter, they survived. Mm -hmm. It was very, it was very unrealistic. At that point, it seemed like it took a turn into like a complete like superhero movie. Yeah, it was very strange. Um, You know, so, and I think that, you know, and there's, there's a taste level question Mm -hmm. of Peter Berg, you know, taking this very tragic real life story and just like having lots of just like whiz bang action movie fun with it. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there, another issue that you and I talked about via text is that this movie, this is actually an interesting movie to talk about after 20th century women, because, you know, in that movie, we have Mike Mills as our director writer who has gone to such great pains to try to sort of deconstruct his sort of privileged white male gaze, Mm -hmm. um, to be sensitive and inclusive. Um, even though ultimately it's still very white as Mm -hmm. we talked about. But in this movie, but in this movie, we, this is, as you mentioned, extremely particularly through the white male gaze white male straight american gaze in particular 
Everybody who is not in that class is looked at with either bemusement mm-hmm. or disdain. Mm-hmm. If you um, don't like, how like... About, like, how about that? Look at that little Asian kid. Ha 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 ha. Right. Uh, or like, look at that maybe inspiring person, but you still don't relate to them. Yeah. Um, if you don't like love Bud Light and like, I don't know, country music and Oof. like shooting a gun if you need to. Yeah. To protect yours, then this movie does not like see, does not see you. It is bad with women it is bad with women um like it has multiple characters have women who we see the beginning of the movie as they're leaving their home these men these heroic white men um and then we don't see them again until they get home again Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and um and they just especially like you know mark Wahlberg's character is fictitious and he still is given like a housewife even though like mm-hmm. she's wearing a nurse's uniform but she sure can't doesn't seem to actually have much work to do no uh she's there his every beck and call played by michelle monaghan mm-hmm. who's a great actress who deserves better um <laughs> and uh you know so we have that we have um and, ev- and every other character is given basically a girl a crush on a girl to humanize them right so, so you know the to, ca- to ramp up the empathy when eventually they get killed yeah or they had a budding romance exactly so we have a security guard um, who was tragically shot and killed by the brothers, uh, who uh, we see, you know, trying to make plans to go to a Zach Brown band concert with this, like, girl he has a crush on. And um, and then also the um, the, Asian, the Chinese man, the Chinese student who was um, uh, hijacked, carjacked, carjacked yeah. by the brothers, uh, also has a whole, like, his entire storyline and character prior to... That alone, the way they treat his character alone makes me hate this movie. They, I mean, he. So he's a real person, he's, mm-hmm. or he portrays a real person who was carjacked by the brothers, taken around. They took his car. Eventually, he was able to escape. I mean, he escaped these guys that had guns and had just blown up uh, bombs at the Boston mm-hmm. Marathon. He escaped uh, like a, a heroic person would, mm-hmm. but they treat him like a child because he doesn't speak perfect English. They treat him like a joke in this movie. It is so embarrassing, and people in the audience laughed. I, I took real umbrage with this. Yeah, it's tough um, because, yeah, so basically he has an extremely thick Chinese accent and they show the real guy at the end and he has that same accent. Um, but, you know, they definitely make a point of like how like, no, no one can understand him. Um, and uh, and I think there's just it just speaks to sort of like, you know, the infantilization mm-hmm. of, exactly. uh, you know, of, of, of Asian men in particular in, in movies um, that like like kind of like there's just such patronizing. The gaze in particular, like the white, you know, straight male gaze and apply to mm-hmm. Asian men in movies yes. is 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 very, very um, offensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it definitely feels like it's that it's, you know, it's here with that. And then like, oh, yeah, he has a line where he's like, you know, get those motherfuckers. Yeah. And, then and everyone's like, aha, that's hilarious. With the Chinese accent. Yeah. Oh, look at the little guy. Um, it is it is very mm-hmm. it's very patronizing in this view of, of, of that kid. And it does seem like the only people that they show who are impacted by any of this are just the whitest of the white. Mm -hmm. Like we follow the story of this couple um, that are just the whitest, prettiest, straightest little couple um, that are um, impacted by the bombing. And then they showed the real versions of them them at the end of the movie because they have a little epilogue where they have all the real people. Mm -hmm. And and damned if they didn't look exactly the same in real life. So I was like, all right, well, fine. Right. I'll give you that, Patriot's Day. (laughs) (laughs) They were those people. That was accurate. Yes, that was accurate. Good on you. But, you know, uh, it's still, you know, it wants to be about, it wants to be this sort of uplifting story about people overcoming unimaginable adversity and also this sort of like, um, bloodthirsty revenge procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, people in our audience were, you know, as they are finally apprehending the brothers and fired up. Uh, yeah. Uh, like cheering, applauding, which is not like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, were they terrorists? Did they commit an unconscionable act? Absolutely. But this is all just still sad. It's mm-hmm. all just still sad. Like, it's not an appropriate reaction to be like, yeah, you know, and if Peter Burke has led you there as a filmmaker, he has erred and he has been been disrespectful to telling the story in a way that has dignity and integrity. Yeah, this this doesn't teach you anything about the world or intention or it's nothing. It's really, um, yeah, if it led you there, exactly. We did have one scene we really liked. We did. Yes. Uh, Which was sort of set up strange in a strange way. Um, They eventually... um, uh, apprehend the wife of the older brother, Catherine, mm-hmm. played by Melissa Benoist, who is Supergirl currently. Oh, right. And uh, they do some interrogation, but then the interrogation is taken over by some sort of shadowy figure, shadowy nebulous group, um, played by Candy Alexander, the great, the great, the wonderful. So she seems like she's kind of like incognito as a Muslim woman and trying to basically the whole point of the uh, interrogation is to find out if there are more bombs. What they need to know as the police, are there more bombs? Are people in danger? And she tries all these different routes of guilt and um, just being straightforward. It's really a knockout performance. It was really the most interesting nuanced part of the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Melissa Benoist also very good in the scene. But Candy Alexander is just a master. Anybody who has seen her play Mama Pope on Scandal. Mm. Uh, knows that she can go hard. And uh, it's a brief scene, but it's the only time in the movie where it's like, oh, good. Like, we, you know, first of all, we have two women speaking, yeah, which is nice. Um, and, you know, and, and it's not, and they're both kind of, you know, formidable, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, um, and they're both tough and they're both complex and they're both really opaque with each other. And it's just fascinating to watch, um, you know, to watch this sort of like this tactical woman try to go in mm-hmm. and disassemble this other woman. And, that was we, and then Candy Alexander leaves as quickly as she shows up, and it's never seen that again. And as she is walking off screen, we were like following her. We were just like, "Yeah, where's take, that movie? Take us with take you. Take me back to that movie." Yeah. Um, overall, I'm going to give this one a send it back. I think for the irresponsibility, um, I think if you are not, um, you know, some sort of fired up straight white male that's like ready to get your your fire stoked, uh, this movie is not for you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't appeal to you. It doesn't see you. Um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it a send it back. Yeah, um, I'm gonna do a zoom moderation. I think I did that for 13 hours too, actually, but because I feel like, and this is a much better film than 13 hours, and I think that as as a movie, it is as for all the reasons I've already stated. I think it's very it's very well made. It's very mm-hmm. compelling. It's very gripping. Um, there's not a dull moment. Uh, it absolutely just pulls you in. You first to the sort of calm before the storm, and then the dread of knowing what's to come, and then I will say it's also not overly gratuitous with the bomb carnage true like you know you see some things but you don't see like it's tasteful i would Mm -hmm. say it shows you sort of the bare minimum just to like help you understand what the nature of the injuries are and Uh, i'm gonna say something really unpopular okay (laughs) they had it coming (laughs) here it goes i feel with with the way they stated the injuries it almost feels like was it a big enough of a tragedy to make a movie about? I will say that I was shocked to learn that the fatality count was only three. Okay, we'll just leave it uh, Yeah, so I will just say, and that's, it speaks to the horrific nature of our world and of terrorist attacks and of whether they be domestic or foreign. 
um, that we think that that's a low number. And there were lots of lives that were forever changed by losing limbs. And mm-hmm. that is and that is an unimaginable thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but mm-hmm. yes, I will say that I was it's I think it's, it, this was one of those symbolic things. It was a symbolic mm-hmm. what it represented locally, that this was mm-hmm. the target of the attack and what the Boston Marathon itself represented, what Patriots Day represents in Boston, you know, so. Yeah, and I, I think you lose a little bit of that if you aren't so aware. Yeah, and then because I, yeah, I will, I was. I was like only three. Hmm. Um, I was I was surprised by that. Um, not n- not saying here or there about whether the movie should have been made by because of that, but yeah, I was surprised that only three. Uh, there were only three fatalities. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> it is out now and it's rated R for violence, realistically graphic injury images, language throughout, and some drug use. And that brings us to our third movie, the last movie of the evening, last movie of the podcast, Live by Night. It's the Roaring Twenties, and Prohibition hasn't stopped the flow of booze in an underground network of gangster-run speakeasies. Joe Coughlin, the son of the Boston police superintendent, long ago turned his back on strict upbringing for the spoils of being an outlaw. But even among criminals, there are rules, and Joe breaks a big one, crossing a powerful mob boss by stealing his money and his mole. I signed up to fight in the war. I went away a soldier. I came home an outlaw. We do what we want to do. We go where we want to go. Give us the money. I don't want to be a gangster. I stopped kissing rings a long time ago. It no longer matters what you want. You're in this life. I kept thinking this was live by night. <laughs> it's not. That sounds like a, a great concert album. Yeah. Ben Affleck, live by night. <laughs> or it's like the band live. Right, live by, by night. night. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I, all lightning they, cha- they, chases. Lightning, <laughs> lightning crashes. Lightning crashes. They just reunited. Oh, Ed Kowalsik, huh? <laughs> yeah. I love that band. The one and only. Uh, I was I always, I never saw them, but I remember the only time I could have seen P.J. Harvey in my teen years was when live came through to start like amphitheater and she was their opening actor and to bring you my love era really and i didn't go to the concert because i was turned off by how ugly ed kowalczyk was yeah he he balled it early and that uh, and he had that rat that like braided yeah, rat oh, tail. yeah he did woof yeah like him like that was my first introduction to like a shirtless man i did not want to be shirtless <laughs> um you knew it was possible yes but so li- live by night live by night uh, so directed by Ben Affleck, uh, who has been in quite a role, um, with the movies he's directed, um, Gone Baby Gone was amazing. Mm-hmm. The Town, lots of fans on that one. Argo, the biggest of them all. Mm. Um, and now Live By Night and oops. Really? <laughs> he done dropped the ball. Tell me about this movie. Um, okay. So it's an adaptation of the novel by Dennis Lehane, um, mm. who also wrote the novel that inspired Gone Baby Gone. Mm-hmm. So which everything about this should have been like a shoe in And I will say when I first saw a trailer for it, I was like, oh shit, that is an Oscar movie. Uh, it just it looked like it had the scope. It looked like it had the, like the rich period detail. Uh, it had this tremendous ensemble cast. Um, I was like, oh, this is, he's got in the bag. Oh my God. I don't know what happened. What goes wrong? So starting off uh, everything. Um, <laughs> so apparently what's happened here is, Dennis Lehane's novel that this inspired is very long. I had a friend I was talking to the other night described it as like a door, more like a doorstopper oh, novel. Oh, okay. And I think they just couldn't figure out a way to really um, streamline it and mm. and and you know reduce it to a movie size. 
And I think that Ben Affleck, I suspect strongly that he has a very, very much longer edit of this somewhere. Um, because the cumulative effect of watching this movie, it feels like you have just watched like a 10-hour HBO limited series that has been haphazardly edited into a two-hour movie. Oh, interesting. It is so wildly uneven, so incredibly bloated with these subplots that kind of come and go and don't really amount to much that are very episodic in nature. It feels like a TV show. It feels like a TV show. These episodic subplots, these different settings, mm-hmm. like sequentially, like, okay, here's the part where he's in this place. Here's the part where he's in this place. Now he's over in this place. Um, the for, It opens with a roughly 10-minute long montage that that's tied together by just the most awful, clearly written in post-production voiceover narration. Did you say 10-minute long montage? Yeah, it's like a 10-minute long, not not like a montage where it's like a musical montage, okay. but basically like a montage in the sense where it's kind of quick cuts and it's like giving you lots of like short sequences with like lots of voiceover minutes. and music for like 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes until you have the first actual scene Wow! in the movie. And that is... I suspect because they basically took the first 40 minutes of the movie and crammed it into 10 and just said like, okay, Affleck, you need to do voiceover to explain all this because we're not going to let it actually have room in the movie. Interesting. And I've been reading a couple. Ben Affleck has not been doing tons of interviews for this. And I was reading some quotes from him from when he was first unveiling it. And he was like, editing is tricky. And uh, and he was like, and there's there were some challenges and uh he he really he singles out the cast to praise um mm. but he it seems like if you read between the lines on these quotes that he knew that this was not and then he was like i just didn't want it to be too long and and i think that he is yeah i i, I don't know if it was he who decided to just quietly pull it from awards consideration or whether mm. warner just knew better but um, yeah, they are not pushing it. They just like yanked it from the schedule. Like we didn't get screeners for this. We didn't get a, a qualifying screening. Patriot's Day was another one where we had several scheduled screenings for our consideration for Film Critics Circle, and then they just pulled them all. I guess they were just like, no, it's not gonna, not gonna happen. Um, so yeah, so this movie is. Um, it basically plays like a, a season of Boardwalk Empire crammed into a single movie, except for instead of Boardwalk, it's like Everglades Empire. Oh, God. Because most of it had, takes place in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and uh, it's just kind of like, it's it all feels very familiar. It's all shit we've seen before, these sort of gangster movies. Um, Prohibition era. Um, it's sprawling in a bad sense because there's just so much going on. It's it's I couldn't explain the plot to you if I tried. Um, it is very un- is very unnecessarily complicated. It's something like he's in war, and then he comes back, and he's a gangster, but he upsets another gangster, and then he escapes to Florida. Like most of that happens in the ten minute opening montage. Oh, like wow. like even like yeah. So there's the whole thing where the thing where you mentioned where he like he falls in love with the mall, the gangsters mall. Like that happens in the montage, and the voiceover says like, but then I made the wrong decision. I fell in love with his girl. And um, and somebody in the audience went, oh god, <laughs> was it you? Uh, no, it wasn't me. Uh, it was not me. So, um, it's just it's just a, it's just a misfire. Uh, and and the funny thing is, like when you do get to the first actual scene, and you get to become acquainted with the tone and pace that Affleck wanted for the movie, then you have never been more sure of anything in your life <laughs> that they have just have wildly edited together 40 minutes into 10 minutes with voiceover because it's just like, it's like screeching breaks. And then suddenly it's this kind of like 
it feels it, it's definitely paying homage to both like you know old Hollywood gangster epics mm-hmm. as well as like new Hollywood seventies gangster epics. You know your Coppola's, oh, your like Scorsese's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so so he you know he he wants to give it he wants so badly to give these characters and these storylines room to breathe. But he can't. And I don't know if that's because he wanted to keep the... I don't know if he was contractually obligated to turn it into our movie. I feel like if you're Ben Affleck and you just made Argo, you right? can fucking get Final Cut. Isn't he doing Batman? Uh, I mean, he's starring as Batman, yes. Oh, he's not directing Batman? No, he doesn't direct Batman. Um, does the movie look like a period piece? or like? Does yeah, it, look like- it looks beautiful. Um, the costumes in particular are stunning. Um, and, you know, f- gorgeous photography, great set direction. You know, it looks expensive, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, you know, it's just dull. Um, you know, he has a lot of, a lot of people show up in the movie. Yeah, who, what are the performances like? So uh, we have, well, Affleck is Affleck. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's, you know, he's just not a great actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it works to his advantage, like in Gone Girl. Um, we, you know, to, to, I feel like the rest of our days will be like, that was the role he was born to play. Right, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, in this, he's kind of a blank. Um, the ladies, Sienna Miller plays the mall. She is great. Um, she is just on fire in this movie. And I think she suffers considerably from the editing because this could have been an Oscar moment for her. Um, but she just ultimately left with not much screen time. The stuff she has, she burns very brightly. Um, then, uh, Zoe Saldana plays his second love interest. Um, her brother is played by Miguel. The rapper, R&B singer? The very same. Huh. Yeah, how about that? He's fine. He looks great. Yeah. Handsome Very handsome. Um, Elle Fanning. uh, Oh, right. (laughs) From before. Plays uh, this sort of late in the game character where she's this, she's like the daughter of a police chief in Florida who goes off to Hollywood to become a star and then gets hooked on heroin and starts doing porn and then comes back as this sort of like this um, evangelist this like born again evangelist who like preaches and like holds up her heroin track marks like their stigmata, and it's just like and it, this is something they just kind of just try to just casually throw at you in the third act, <laughs> like it, like I'm like that's an entire movie, right? Yeah, that's an entire movie right there. Um, and uh, and she is very miscast, very very miscast in the role, not convincing. Um, Chris Messina mm. is a delight. Uh, he plays sort of like the right hand man to Affleck's mm-hmm. character, and he has gained some weight, and he's wearing some funky teeth, and he basically <laughs> comes across like I believe I think I said this last night. He kind of looks like a Dick Tracy villain as played by a Marx brother, <laughs> uh, and uh, and he and Affleck have a very good sort of comic chemistry. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just kind of uh, oh, I I cannot find very many other nice things to say about it it was a, yeah. it was not especially entertaining it was dull it was a slog to get through like i saw i was like reading some research on it today and i saw like mtv news review of it was that like you know fun dumb and full of guns uh, and i'm like well dumb and full of guns yeah but it's not fun no it's not a fun movie um you know checking like, your watch uh, kind of. I was just like, I was just like so confused constantly by the pacing, by the wild unevenness of the pacing and mm-hmm. the tone that I was, I was, I guess I was fascinated because I was like, so where is this all leading exactly? Because it mm-hmm. wants to be like a Scarface, you know, type epic that tells you this entire sort of saga 
Um, and it, but it just like, they just didn't pull it off in terms of balancing, um, the running time with the screenplay, with the editing, right. with the overall narrative. It just doesn't, it just is a misfire. And it seems like most of the problems happen in post or like it was already there. It was there in the DNA and the foundation of the project. Mm-hmm. They didn't realize it until after they'd already shot it. And then they went to try to edit together and they're like, Ooh, Oops. um, so I mean like maybe there'll be like a four hour edit of this someday and maybe I would actually watch it. I'd be curious to see. Cause I mean, he's. He doesn't need to prove himself to us as a director. He already has. Mm-hmm. He's a great director. So um, I would like to see the full version of this. Um, but this version is borderline unwatchable. Well, so what are you giving it? Send it back. Send it back. You haven't given a send it back in a while. It's been a minute. Wow. So yeah. Live By Night is a send it back. Don't waste your time. Life is too short for this mess. Amen. And that's it. That's our last movie. Um, Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe if you're on iTunes, if you're an Apple user. If you are not an Apple user, we're also on Google Music and uh, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. Yes. Thank you so much. I am at uh, Fight Balance on Twitter. Jason is... Excess Baggage. And thank you. Bye, guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.